This is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan, and this week we've been talking about what we believe and why we believe things that are, well, not true. When it comes to conspiracy theories, earlier in the program, science journalist Shankar Vedantam says they serve a psychological purpose. Who is the person who is likely to see, you know, a small cabal of people controlling everything, driving everything, shaping everything? It tends to be the people who in some ways don't feel a lot of control in their own lives, who feel like their own lives are unpredictable or chaotic. They are likely to be the ones drawn to a story that basically has a simple story of villains and heroes. But QAnon conspiracy believers are not just a psychological phenomena. They are also a political one. I've come to believe over the last year that people, more than even fearing death, were such a tribalistic people that they fear being kicked out of their tribe. And so you accept anything because now Republicanism or conservatism or Trumpism becomes your identity. That's Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger from Illinois' 16th District. He sits on the January 6th committee. He's not running for re-election, but he's raising alarms about what's happening in his party You have people today that literally, I think in their heart, they may not say it, but they equate Donald Trump with the person of Jesus Christ. And to them, if you even come out against this amazing man, Donald Trump, which I mean, obviously quite flawed, um, you are coming out against Jesus, against their Christian values. And uh, when you go after their religion, that, that violates the depth of who they are. And I've been kicked out of my tribe and that's okay. Shankar Vedantam offers a psychological frame for thinking about the idea of tribe and the power it can exert because we want to belong and how that desire to belong can deepen acceptance of conspiracy beliefs. The researchers at the Public Religion Research Institute decided to take a closer look. And after four surveys, they published a report earlier this year with findings that were startling. QAnon is growing. Nearly one in five Americans and one in four Republicans believes in QAnon conspiracy theories. To learn more, I spoke to the new CEO of PRRI, Dr. Melissa Deckman. Melissa, welcome to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. It's such a pleasure to have this time to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. You and I both listen to my conversation with Shankar Vedantam recently. Tell me what were some of the takeaways for you? Yeah, so I found his research really compelling about useful delusions and that essentially I think there's a tendency in individuals to accept certain untruths in order to, in many positive ways, make us better citizens or make us better parents. I was struck by the story he told about, you know, as a parent, when you have your own baby, you think this is the most wonderful baby in the world. Right? And so evolutionary <laughs> yeah. from that perspective, right? You know, we all have those feelings, even though objectively we know that that might not be the case. The danger, of course, is when you lead into conspiracy theories such as QAnon that can lead to some really dangerous uh, impacts in society. How many people really embrace these beliefs, these ideas? And how do you measure that? So our very talented research team spent some time in some of the chat forums to get a sense of the language and the ideas that were germinating. And so what we came up with really was a three-prong approach to measure QAnon beliefs. We asked Americans the extent to which they agreed with the following. 
One is that the government, media, and financial worlds in the U.S. are controlled by a group of Satan-worshipping pedophiles who run a global child sex trafficking operation. So that was one of the questions that we asked. We also asked Americans if they felt that there was a storm coming soon that would sweep away elites in power. And then finally, we asked about political violence, right? Do you think that America has gotten so far off track that true patriots have to resort to violence to save our country? And so using those three prongs, we came up with a measure of Americans who agree with the core tenets of QAnon. And in our research, we found a range of 14 to 18% of Americans who agree with all three of those sentiments. So you did this survey in March of 2021, and then you went back in March of 2022. Tell me, what did you learn? So Donald Trump is really key to part of this analysis as well, because part of the the conspiracy theory aspect of QAnon was that Trump was, in fact, the vehicle that would bring the storm. And when Trump lost, I think a lot of people felt that, oh, so this might, I think, kind of calm down and make people less likely to adopt to these sorts of views. Well, we found, in fact, that wasn't the case at all. In fact, over the past year, we found maybe a slight increase from 14 to 18 percent of Americans who, who remain followers in some capacity of QAnon. And so that idea of QAnon diminishing when Trump leaving office really just not did not materialize. What's the belief that is behind this? For many Americans, I think what it really boils down to in terms of QAnon support, it's, it's really this idea that America has lost its culture and identity. For example, this spring, that among people who we identify as QAnon believers, 80% of them think America is in danger of losing its culture and identity. I think that mm. Trump was viewed for many QAnon believers as sort of the salvation figure. But when that did not materialize, I think they're unwilling to let go of the idea that American identity and culture is still problematic. In terms of what the cultural threats that QAnon believers face, for example, part of it's linked to the idea that being able to speak English is important to be truly American. For example, we find that 65% of QAnon believers believe that being born in America is important to being. I think that also speaks to the fact that people in conspiracy theories have very clear boundaries of who belongs and who does not, <laughs> certainly. We also find that more than half of QAnon believers favor banning books with LGBTQ topics in schools. Walk me through what you learned about religious affiliation. So we have found in terms of who believes in, in QAnon, politics and media consumption and education levels are the primary factors that help us understand why someone is likely to support QAnon beliefs. However, there is a role, I think, for religion in, in that as well. So we find, for example, that identifying as a born-again Christian makes you significantly more likely to believe in QAnon. For example, we find that more than two-thirds of QAnon believers believe that God granted a special role for America and human history. And so Themes of Christian nationalism, in some ways, marry with themes of QAnon. We find 27% of white evangelical Protestants are supporters of QAnon. But you could see how those elements of good and evil, of apocalyptic visions, can appeal to some of those individuals. When you take a step back and you look at all these various cultural forces, and keeping in mind what Shankar Vedantam found in his work, what should we keep in mind when we talk and want to react? when we hear something that we deeply disagree with. Yeah, I was struck in your interview with Shankar about how, you know, folks who yell at each other over a table are not going to change anyone's minds, right? And yet right. we have a media environment, frankly, on both sides of the aisle, where there's a lot more talking and accusing and not really a lot of listening, right? 
what you just said reminded me of something that Shankar was pointing out when he was doing his research on in useful delusions, this idea that we embrace ideas, not just on the face of data or information that might be presented, but it comes in this context that's also shaped by norms. I would love to hear where the QAnon believers as a group, where are they as a group getting those cultural cues? Are there organizations? Are there affiliations that can give us some more insight? Yeah, I would make two points to, to that issue that you raised there. One is that consistently we have found that media consumption is a big explainer and understanding why some Americans are more likely to adopt QAnon beliefs. So, for example, we find that if you consume primarily far-right news media, things like OANN or Newsmax, which are even further to the right than Fox News, those individuals are almost five times as likely as other Americans to believe in QAnon. So I think where folks are getting their news and information, of course, feeds into their beliefs in QAnon. But secondly, it's all about our social networks. And this kind of gets maybe back to Shankar's points about norms in our kind of our bubbles that we find ourselves in American society. The stereotype of a QAnon supporter uh, might be some, you know, random guy sitting in his parents' basement with a tinfoil hat, right? <laughs> being a loner, being on different sort of online platforms all day. But in reality, we did an analysis of individual social networks, and we found that QAnon supporters, in fact, are not isolated. They have lots of friends. And I think what happens is that they tend to be friends with people who reinforce that narrative. So if you're watching skewed news networks and you're hanging out with people that believe the the same thing, you know, there's that self-reinforcing mechanism to kind of only look for the facts, quote unquote, that really support your worldview. And I think that's really what's driving a lot of these QAnon believers. It also gives me pause to think that that happens across the spectrum, like whether you believe in QAnon or you hold other ideological beliefs or viewpoints. I would completely agree with that. You know, there's been lots of studies by political scientists in recent years that try to unpack and understand why we're so polarized as a country. And part of it is that Democrats just hang out with Democrats and Republicans just hang out with Republicans. Our churches have become more overtly partisan in the sense that the folks who tend to attend certain congregations like to attend it with people that believe their own political views. That has led us to a situation where we're distrustful of other people and we tend to view people with a lot of suspicion. And that's not healthy for a democracy at all. One of the things that you tested was the comfort level with the belief that true American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country. Most Americans reject using violence. We find, nationally speaking, that more than 80% of Americans would say that we shouldn't be resorting to violence. Typically, the norms in our culture have been such that historically, leaders from both sides of the aisles have sort of downplayed or denounced violence in our political system. Mm -hmm. And what happens in a society where you have a strong Uh, part of a certain political group who's willing to say, well, our goals of saving the country are important that, you know, suddenly violence might be necessary and even mandatory to these believers. That's really dangerous. When you talk about danger in political violence, there are so many different episodes, unfortunately, that come to mind. The biggest, of course, being January 6, 2021. This week, Republican Liz Cheney was defeated in a primary election by a candidate who was supported and endorsed by former President Trump. How do QAnon beliefs play a role in today's Republican Party politics? On the one hand, I think that 
Liz Cheney, I think, has been pretty brave in trying to bring truth to the events that happened that day. Our research finds, for example, QAnon believers are far more likely to (laughs) believe that the election was stolen. They're also more likely to believe that the events of January 6th were the result of Antifa and leftist uh, anarchists rather than folks who supported Donald Trump. I think that eight out of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump after January 6th are no longer going to be serving in Congress. They've either decided not to run for office or they lost their re-election bids. And so I think that tells you that the current base of the Republican Party is really one that's willing to embrace the lie that Donald Trump did not, you know, did not win rightfully. And getting back to this idea of, of worldviews, when we ask Democrats and Republicans, what are the most important issues facing America? It's a, just a very different kind of concept of what's the most important thing. And I think the challenge in our country is to try to find that sort of commonality. What are our our major priorities? What are our values? And when you have conspiracy theories out there that are very clearly defining a a certain value in a way that doesn't allow for any sort of other thoughts or nuance or role for reason or rationality, it's a dangerous place to be in American democracy. And so I think the social science research is clear about really what changes hearts and minds are interpersonal connections. I think the challenge, of course, is that we have fewer of those outlets in society where those conversations are happening. Religious organizations throughout much of our history have served as sort of a bridging. For many Americans, these religious communities historically have allowed us to kind of get to know our neighbors and to be more trusting of people in society. We know that fewer Americans now are are religiously affiliated. And so we're losing that sort of mechanism combined with the fact that some churches, in fact, I think have become more overtly Republican or overtly, you know, maybe Democratic. And so we don't have those opportunities to kind of get to know one another and to, to listen to, to each other. Where we can mm. get to where we're talking to each other and getting to know each other as humans and respecting each other, that is, is a heavy lift. Dr. Melissa Deckman is a political scientist who studies the impact of gender, religion, and age on public opinion and political behavior. She is the CEO of PRRI. That's a nonprofit research institute that studies the intersection of religion, politics, and culture. Prior to her appointment, Melissa chaired the board and served as an affiliated scholar. That's all for this week's show. We'll have links to the reports that we referenced and a link to Shankar Vedantam's book. Check it out at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, you can learn about us, read the show notes, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. You can also take us on the go. Listen to Interfaith Voices wherever you catch your podcast. Just search Interfaith Voices. And while you're there, leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. This week's episode was produced by me, Kimberly Winston, Kevin McCarthy, and Richa Karmaker. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, for her vision, MC Yogi for our theme music, and additional sounds by Blue Dot Sessions and Audio Binger. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices, and we rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this show. Wherever you are, friends, I hope you are well, I hope you are safe, and I hope you stay connected. I'll see you next week.